All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Aaron, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. Hey, check it out, you guys. On the line, I got my old friend Dennis Marburger. How you doing, man? I'm doing very well, Scott. How are you? I'm doing great. Really appreciate you joining me on the show again today. Um, well, thank you. And I appreciate you inviting me. I know you're very busy, and uh, you keep doing wonderful work for the cause of liberty and for the cause of peace and for the anti-war movement. And uh, you're to be commended. So thank you for sharing some time with me. Yeah, yeah, happy to. And and seriously, you're the one doing me a favor here. We got such important uh, news to cover about what's going on in the kind of ever simmering conflict between Azerbaijan and Armenia, and particularly surrounding Nagorno-Karabakh or the uh, Ash. How do you say it? The Ar. Say it. Ar- Artsakh Empire uh, Republic there, which is essentially you got a piece of Azerbaijan that is landlocked on the other side of Armenia on its kind of western border there. And then you have this Nagorno-Karabakh Artsakh Republic uh, spot is a piece of Armenia that's wholly enclosed within Azerbaijan. But there's supposed to be humanitarian corridors. But the problem is, is they're all bought. They're all blocked by a lot of bad blood. So uh, that's the very... Oh, and of course, they used to be both subsumed under the domination of Moscow in the USSR and then, um, you know, kind of have been... I guess they fought right after the Soviet Union fell apart. They fought, and uh, there's been on and off conflict ever since then. So now we're sort of kind of caught up with the background, but now you take it from here and I guess fill in maybe even the last year worth of uh, what we need to know here. Okay, and, and I'd like to um, uh, slightly amend the, the, sure. the description. Okay, so Artsakh is actually an, an independent republic. Um, so it's not part of Armenia, even though it is ethnically Armenian. Oh, I see. Uh, Right. And the people is indigenously Armenian. And there's another word, Atonkinus, I think is how it's pronounced. I, I'm probably getting it wrong. But it, so in other words, ancient, I think this goes way back. It's, it's been inhabited by Armenians for millennia. And uh, what happened is that after the um, genocide, the, the Turkish uh, genocide of the Armenians, Assyrians, and Pontic Greeks, which basically went from 1895 through 19, and actually this is before the end of that, because that ended in 1923. But um, so they're at the uh, post-World War I period, um, the new Republic of Armenia, which which was a restoration of Ar- Armenia in the Armenian homeland, at least a, a, a segment of it, a small part of it, was set up. And that included this area of Artsakh, which is uh, very uh, culturally and historically uh, important. Uh, many um, important things happened there. And it, Artsakh had been at times independent um, when other ways of conquest were going through the area. but um, Stalin, as, as the um, commissar of, uh, of the nationalities in the Soviet Union, uh, was making a deal with the Turks because he wanted to get away for the Red Fleet to get out to the Mediterranean through the Dardanelles. 
And so he put Artsakh and uh, another area called Nakhichevan, which is if you look at a map and you say, what's this part of uh, Azerbaijan doing over here called uh, Nakhichevan? That that was actually, that's actually Armenian, but Stalin put it under, along with Artsakh, into the Azerbaijani Soviet Socialist Republic. They were both made autonomous oblasts. That's the phrase they used. And there was supposed to be you know, a lot of self-government, but it was, was uh, unlawfully put in uh, under the overall jurisdiction of the of the Azerbaijani Soviet Socialist Republic. And now did course- Stalin transfer Azeris, ethnic Azeris, into that area as well? Um, well, the the Azeris did that. Um, I see. Yeah. Yeah. So so Azerbaijan was 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 doing that sort of thing. And uh, the population of the population of um, makeup in, in Artsakh and in Akichevan, uh, they tried to influence. They were much more successful, unfortunately, in, in Akichevan, where they eventually, over time, wiped out the, the Armenian presence in Akichevan. And even in more recent times, uh, the Azerbaijanis destroyed uh, the Armenian cultural heritage there, the churches, the uh, graveyards, these kachkars they, they have, which are these cross stones, which... Uh, had, had great value. Uh, they, they just wiped it all out because their idea is to wipe out the memory of it, any trace of Armenian civilization there. Uh, they're doing the same thing in in um, the areas that they've occupied in Artsakh. They've done it in areas of Azerbaijan, which are not part of Artsakh, but were, there were large Armenian communities. They had horrible pogroms and mass killings in Baku and Sungayet, Karivabad, in, in Shushi, which is an Armenian uh, city, now totally devoid of Armenians because of, of this, these sorts of activities. Um, the, the Azerbaijanis have wiped out the, the Armenian population there. They either were killed or, 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 or driven off. And, and now there are no Armenians left in this important Armenian cultural center, uh, which is a very strategic location there. And that, that happened, uh, the final thing there happened as part of the 44-day terror war of aggression that Azerbaijan launched in 2020. And what they did there was they, they said, well, no more uh, diplomacy, no, no more uh, discussion about what would be a, a, a just uh, situation to have uh, between the people of Artsakh, who had rightfully declared independence following Soviet law when they were still part of the Soviet Union, and, and they, they had left uh, the Azerbaijani Soviet Socialist Republic. And then when the Soviet Union ended, Artsakh said, well, we're not part of Azerbaijan anymore. Uh, we, we weren't previously, and we're not going to be part of it. And the even the relationship of the people of Artsakh as an autonomous oblast as part of their Soviet Socialist Republic in Azerbaijan, that ended because that was going to end when the Soviet Union ended. And the people had decided um, that was their right and their duty, something we know from the American Declaration of Independence, right, Scott? Um, we're, we don't want that abusive government. So they said, no, we're not, we're not part of you anymore. And the Azerbaijanis attacked. They attacked Armenians living in Azerbaijan and did, did terrible things there. Uh, so the long train of abuses after these pogroms and mass killings and everything else um, that the Armenians of Artsakh had um, was even more uh, harrowing than what Thomas Jefferson and his colleagues wrote about in the Declaration of Independence. So they actually, there was a remission in Azerbaijani oppression of Armenians um, after the, the first Artsakh or first Karabakh war, which ended in a, in a ceasefire in, in 1994. Um, but there were attacks by uh, Azerbaijan intermittently. They launched aggressions. And then finally in 2020, they, they did what they, they just did. Um, and they've captured uh, the vast majority of Artsakh, including the majority of, of what was considered Nagorno-Karabakh back in the, as the Soviet days. And they, um, 
have made a tax on the people living there and in Armenia itself. And then in December of last year, in December of last year, uh, they cut this lifeline. And you 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 made a reference to it. It's um, the Berdzor or Lachine Corridor, which goes from the Republic of Armenia, which is to the west. And, and it goes for uh, several miles. It goes from there to oh, the unoccupied surviving remnant of Artsakh. And this was something that by agreement uh, of the uh, uh, three parties, Armenia, Azerbaijan, and Russia, uh, was supposed to be uh, 10 kilometers wide. The uh, Azerbaijanis were supposed to come any closer than five kilometers on, uh, on either side of it. And then uh, people could travel back and forth and have trade and that sort, sort of thing. And the Russian peacekeepers that are in the area were supposed to have um, the ultimate con control over this. But then in December, the Azerbaijanis decided they were going to put a total siege on the 120,000 people uh, still living in the unoccupied surviving remnant of Artsakh. Um, that that includes like 30,000 elderly and I think 20,000 children. Um, and, and what they did was they they, um, they they just cut that whole link. They they, they first started doing this, Scott. They, they had a fake uh, protest. They, they said it was an ecological protest. It was about the, the ecology. And the, it was an environmental protest. And that that was nonsense. There, there was nothing environmental or ecological about it. It was it was a, 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 there were a lot of people out there, um, either students or government workers or, or soldiers of paid by Aliyev, who is the dictator, Ilham Aliyev, the dictator of Azerbaijan. And they had this massive uh, they, they said they were doing a protest and, 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 and a demonstration. You can't do those things in Azerbaijan. You look at what happens to people that try to do a protest in Azerbaijan. And they're brutalized terribly. And the environment, the ecology in areas under the control of Aliyev's regime in Azerbaijan is awful. Um, the, the waters around Baku, uh, the, the pollution from their various uh, facilities, it, it, it is just terrible. And so th this was clearly a, a fake protest meant to um, starve the people. And eventually the Azerbaijanis just gave up on even the, the pretense of this being an environmental or e ecological thing. And, and they just... Uh, completely shut it down and they said now there's there's no there's nothing that, that can come into Artsakh. They eventually relented a little bit and said, well if the International Committee the Red Cross uh, is going to take some people out to go from Artsakh to Armenia for medical care, uh, we might we might allow that from time to time. There, there'd been some of that and then they kidnapped one of the people that was being transported. a fellow who they falsely accused of various things. turns out it was a case of mistaken identity. But but they have kidnapped this guy and they haven't returned him. And they said, oh, oh well, there's going to be this trial. We had uh, there were international warrants out for him and there weren't. That was a lie. Uh, and and so the, and he's not the only person that's been kidnapped uh, while this has been going on. But they basically have completely uh, cut off uh, any ability to get food or uh, personal hygiene items or medicine or anything that you would need in daily living uh, to get into this area. They have also uh, attacked people working in fields who are raising food. Uh, they shoot at their uh, agricultural uh, combines or tractors at the people themselves. And they'll they'll say, oh, we, we had to do it because they were fortifying the area. And you say, well, you have a right to fortify, but that's not even what was going on. I mean, you have a right to defense, but they were, so they're not even letting the people raise food, Scott. They're, they're um, basically drowning them out. They've interrupted the um, power supplies and, and they don't let, uh, they don't have uh, natural gas or electricity coming in. It's very, it's very intermittent. They have a little bit of it, but it's, it's not enough uh, for them to operate. 
they they have to use hydroelectric power so that's drawn the, the big reservoir that's in the area down uh, to, to critical levels they can't pump the have any running water so people have to walk long distances sometimes 20 kilometers to just get buckets of water to, to take back home and um it's 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 really an awful situation and the idea here evidently is to force these people either to starvation or the brink of starvation and or dehydration or other medical conditions and they, they're seeing all sorts of things people fainting people getting heart attacks miscarriages um and and it's, it's just the most awful thing and and the goal of the azerbaijani dictatorship which has horrible human rights record towards people in azerbaijan towards the azeris the goal is to drive out all of these people to have them just give up or if if they're if they want to stay they, they have to say okay we'll we'll, we'll agree to give up our independence and be conquered by Azerbaijan and to be subjugated by that regime. And Azerbaijan says, oh, you'll have the same rights as Azerbaijanis who have no rights and, and who, are, who are, are brutalized by their government, whether they're protesters or media people, you know, uh, reporters or somebody who is a professor or somebody that says the wrong thing. Um, the, the human rights record in uh, Azerbaijan is, is akin to that in, in North Korea. And the Azerbaijani regime, when they do get control of areas where there are Armenians, uh, that they, they have ISIS-like behavior, and they and they videotape it and put it in social media channels, um, beheading people. Um, and, and in the last year, they actually attacked areas of Armenia, not Artsakh. They they took uh, territory in Armenia on the border. They captured prisoners. They they put out a video uh, showing them uh, shooting unarmed prisoners of war, just murdering them right there. They put out videos showing them doing horrible things to female prisoners of war and, and bragging about it and, and you know, uh, mass rape and, and, and bodily mutilation and, 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 and the whole thing. And they, 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 they thought this was funny. And their telegram channels, apparently, people that are watching this are saying they're, they're, the people in Azerbaijan have been so propagandized by the regime with hateful, armenophobic lies and, and ethnocentric, racist hate mongering um, that, that they uh, mock the difficulties of the people in Artsakh. They mock when somebody dies. They mock when, when the babies are born. They, they say terrible things about what they would like to do to the uh, young women. Um, it, it's just the, the sort of thing that is, is beyond the pale. They, they descend the, into the depths of demonic depravity in word and in deed. And it all flows from the dictator and his family, the Ali of dictatorship of Azerbaijan, and, and their desires to have um, total uh, control not only over the people there, but to get the people there angry at, at the other, the outsider, which is which is the Armenians. And so they, they um, focus all their people on that, uh, on these other people and, and have just um, the, the kind of a mindset that you said, well, there's no way these, these groups can live together. But they claim, well, yeah, we want reintegration, which is a lie. Um, but it's a very sad thing. And then sadly, Scott, uh, I say shockingly, but this won't shock you because you're very smart about these things and you're knowledgeable. United States government sends subsidy, taxpayers' money over to this dictator in Azerbaijan in violation of uh, Section 907 of the Freedom Support Act. There's um, it, that, That's been waived for a number of years, um, but now apparently they, they, they might... Um, enforce it again. And in our local Michigan Republican Congressional District, we actually passed a resolution calling for that. Say no more subsidization, no more cooperation and collaboration between the U.S. military and the Azerbaijani military. We, we shouldn't be doing that. 
and, and calling for the lifting of the blockade, the returning of, of prisoners that they've held that, that they're abusing uh, in their prisons or holding them um, unlawfully and, and against agreements. And uh, so we passed that. And then the International Court of Justice uh, came out and, and issued a, uh, an opinion, a ruling. And they said to Azerbaijan, you have to leave that corridor open. You, you must do that. And they've reiterated that, and Azerbaijan refuses to comply. And they say, oh, well, we'll send supplies from this other area, from this uh, city, uh, town called Agdam. But what they're trying to do with that is then say, okay, now we've got you by control. If you agree to that, now you've agreed you don't have independence. Now you agree we're in control. And, and, and they can use that. As a fellow named Paul Bryan, who just wrote a really good article called The Crisis We Ignore at uh, publication of The Critic, uh, and it's uh, from the United Kingdom, as he pointed out, they, they could use it. They, they, they could poison the people. And, and that's not beyond the pale in this situation. Something like this uh, happened before. And they've used starvation and blockades before uh, against the Armenian people there. So they're, they're saying, you know, give up everything and, and, and we'll give you what, what, what we want to give you from Agdam. But it's a very cynical ploy, a way to trap the people. And after they've done these kidnappings, uh, folks are very, very leery of that. They're just not, they're, they're not going to do it. So they're resisting in a Gandhi-like fashion, Scott. They, they, they are not... Uh, fighting violently, though it's their right to defend themselves. But the, like Gandhi and like the people back in India, they're, they're enduring great hardship to uh, protect their independence and, and to say we do not consent to rule imposed by this dictator from Baku. Hmm. All right. Well, we know how important Azerbaijan is to the American empire. They have that all-important BTC pipeline that runs uh, through there from Azerbaijan through Georgia and into Turkey. Um, and so, uh, and, you know, really just keeping Caspian oil out of Russian hands as much as possible by, by staying dominant there. So the Armenians are at a severe disadvantage there, even though there are a lot of Armenians and an Armenian lobby here in the United States, they don't have the kind of resources that the Americans need to exploit, or even, I guess they don't have the geography that the Americans require, uh, for their specific interests here. So uh, that leads to the question, you mentioned American aid, but in this crisis, which it is acknowledged to be a crisis in the global media to some degree, it's not like there's a complete blackout on it, although obviously it's not a chosen uh, topic, you know, of the news cycle to be spotlighted, but um, it's not exactly secret either. So uh, what can you tell us about the role of the United States, the UN, the EU, uh, regional governments like Turkey in terms of discussion, diplomacy, accusations, arguments back and forth, or are they all just ignoring it? And, and, and I guess on top of that, well, I'll save, I'll save the next part. Go ahead. Okay. Well, that's, that's an excellent question. So um, the United States uh, government officially, um, or what they've actually been doing is again, sending this money over there, having U.S. military work with them. And then, um, you, you know, then they say, um, well, we, we want both sides to come together here and, and come to an agreement and and uh, and to do it in a way that will um, ensure the rights of all the people, including uh, the rights of the Armenians in Nagorno-Karabakh, and maybe they can figure out a way that they can live inside of, you know, be, as be part of Azerbaijan. But they say, well, they, the problem there is not a both sides type of a conflict, right? I mean, one one group is doing terrible things to another group, and the U.S. government is is, is not speaking out uh, clearly about it, which is which is typical. Uh, you ask about the 
the European Union, and there's a hot button on, on this because they have this uh, Ursula von der Leyen who says, oh, yeah, Azerbaijan is a reliable supplier of, of, of gas here to Europe. And, and so and she shakes hands with Aliyev. They have these, these uh, photo ops together. And they say, yeah, we're getting the, the gas from Azerbaijan. Well, what they're getting is, in many cases, is Russian gas. And Russian energy that would otherwise have been going through the Nord Stream pipeline. And then you say, well, wait a minute. Now, the Nord Stream pipeline, uh, some people say, well, Joe Biden was the, the Nord Stream bomber. Uh, he's been alleged to have been that. And you know a lot of that discussion about that. And there's concern about Europe being deindustrialized and Germany being deindustrialized. And people say, well, we'll, we'll justify that uh, in some way because uh, we think uh, that might hurt Russia and that sort of thing. Well, the Russians are apparently sending gas through Azerbaijan. So it's just another route. But but now it lets this, this genocidal uh, terror state of Azerbaijan uh, benefit from it. And so it, it's really a um, r- r- really a rotten deal. Uh, there's also a Charles Michel, I think, is another person over at the European Union. And again, he talks very much in sort of this, um, well, uh, you know, there's we got to get both sides to work together. And, and they're, they're, they seem very um, afraid of, of upsetting or of, um, of offending the Aliyev regime. Sometimes a, a politician or, or a government person will say things that they really object to. In fact, the Belgian foreign minister just did apparently. And I, and she visited Armenia and she visited, I think she's in Baku or going there to Azerbaijan. Uh, and Ali refuses to meet with her. Uh, their, their state uh, media propaganda outlets, one of them is called Caliber, are, are saying terrible things about her. Um, uh, Turkey has, has a role, which which is, would not be surprising to anyone familiar with this, this uh, part of the world, this situation. Uh, Turkey uh, actively supports everything Azerbaijan wants. They they helped Azerbaijan with, in the terror war. They uh, helped get uh, Syrian and Afghan and other mercenaries, jihadist mercenaries, to fight on the Azerbaijani side. Uh, their commentary is always um, uh, pro-Azerbaijani, and so they 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 favor putting maximum pressure uh, on the Armenians. Erdogan uh, and Aliyev are joined at the hip on this, and they support each other politically. Um, they they meet together in places like I say, like Shushi. Uh, Erdogan's gone there and other parts of occupied uh, Artsakh and, and celebrated the Azerbaijani conquest and, and ethnic cleansing of the Armenians there. He goes to Azerbaijan. The Azerbaijani leaders go to Turkey. So they're very uh, forthright in, in, in their support for that. Uh, France is a country that has had uh, had, had said some positive things. In fact, the new French ambassador to Armenia has been uh, very good. The American ambassador to Armenia has not been good, by the way. She, she has said some things which are incomprehensible, and she kind of took them back and tried to modify them. A little bit, um, and then NATO. You know, I don't know. If NATO's really said anything, but NATO and Azerbaijan work together on some things. Azerbaijan's got uh, sort of a, a quasi, uh, and they're not the only country that has this, but they've got sort of a quasi uh, junior partner or special observer status with, with NATO, and so there's interaction between uh, NATO and uh, Azerbaijan and the Azerbaijani military, as there has been with the U.S. military and even the Oklahoma National Guard, and in, in, in Azerbaijan, and then. Um, there are some, the Azerbaijani state media and the Azerbaijani, they call it diplomatic or they're not very diplomatic, uh, and their social media warriors um, are, are, are very active, um, spreading disinformation and, and lies about the historical situation and, and lies about what's going on here. There was just a meeting at the United Nations, Scott, they had a Security Council meeting, and, and so people were talking uh, about this at the United Nations, what was going on, and, there, and the ambassador from Azerbaijan was saying, oh, see, there's no no problem, look. 
and he was showing these, these, these pictures that some of their people had, had gotten from Instagram, pictures which generally speaking were not of this time frame, but of before the blockade. Um, and they would show people, you know, celebrating and having good times. And he held this one picture. Oh, look, they have tasty cookies. Oh, there can't be a problem over there or there would be weddings. And they even made a big deal out of this wedding cake that turned out was made out of cardboard. People still are trying to live. So there are still some weddings there. And so there was a cardboard wedding cake to give some semblance of joyfulness and celebration. Um, so, so that's been going on. But there's not been, you know, in terms of the uh, official uh, discussion of this, there's there's um, been a lot of both sidisms. Um, the International Court of Justice has come out at least um, in terms of the corridor and saying you've got to open up the corridor. Uh, some politicians of some countries have said you have to do that. I think the... Um, I think the foreign minister of Canada, that uh, Melanie Jolie, I think she she said some things and and, and came under uh, virulent attack uh, from the Azerbaijanis. A former um, international criminal court uh, chief prosecutor, uh, I believe his name is Luis um, Moreno Ocampo. He he's come out and, and said he said this it looks like genocide. He says reasonable to call this genocide, uh, and so they they uh, impugn his character and, and attack him. The, the Lemkin Institute. Genocide prevention has spoken out about this. Uh, the International Association of Genocide Scholars has, but it's still relatively low key. Uh, fortunately, there are people I, I mentioned, uh, Paul Bryan, he, he had this excellent article. Also, Uze Bulet, who is a lady of Turkish uh, birth, I believe in Turkish ethnicity. She has written about this extensively and, and, and has done great work. Um, and, and there are some others as well, but it's been um, it, it's it's been difficult to get a lot of people to, to actually focus on this. And there are lots of folks on Twitter that are, are, are doing good work, actually, that I, I, I could point towards, like a, a Twitter site, Origins Discovery, another one, Arminophobia.org, uh, and, and um, Maro Kuchinian. And, and, and there are, are many others uh, that, that are doing good work. But it's kind of like a grassroots volunteer effort, um, which is trying to break through the fog of, not just the fog of war, but the fog of, of either disinterest or, or uh, lack of knowledge about this that, that seems to be so pervasive, particularly in American uh, mass media, you know, nightly news type things. But yeah. it's, we're starting to get a little bit of discussion of it. The Guardian just had an article, finally, they see somebody said after eight months of silence. And so some people are, are beginning to waken up to this, and, and we're seeing people all over the the world start to look at it. But um, the, the geostrategic idea, it, and we're, as you say, geography and, um, and, and the geostrategic uh, the geopolitics uh, have worked in, in Olive's favor where, where people seem to be afraid to uh, confront him on this. And he's got a, a number of countries that work with him. Uh, Pakistan has been encouraging this. I mentioned Turkey. Israel's a big weapons supplier there. The United States has been collaborating with them. Um, but maybe maybe we're going to see a, a change in this. But again, the, the, the destruction of the Nord Stream pipeline is an interesting aspect to consider because I think that ramps up the alleged importance of the Azerbaijani connection to get gas from the Caspian or from other areas, including Russia, uh, into Europe for their purposes for industrial uh, use and also for heating. Hang on just one second for me. You guys know that I consider the Defend the Guard movement, led by the combat vets at BringOurTroopsHome.us and DefendTheGuard.us, to be the most important thing happening in American politics today. Simply put, this law would nullify the empire by preventing the state governors from handing their National Guard troops over to the president for foreign combat without an official declaration of war from the Congress. We've made great progress getting it out of committee and even passed the state Senate in Arizona. 
Help support Bring Our Troops Home and Defend the Guard at bringourtroopshome.us and defendtheguard.us. And their director of field operations, Diego Rivera, teaches a political leadership class that is the most effective training like it anywhere. He's still a soldier, only now his mission is peace. So heads up all you anti-war vets, we've got a mission for you. Find out all about their upcoming training sessions and help support at bringourtroopshome.us and defendtheguard.us. Hey, y'all, Scott Horton here for the Libertarian Institute at libertarianinstitute.org. I'm the director. Then we've got Sheldon Richmond, Kyle Anzalone, Keith Knight, Lori Calhoun, Jim Bovard, Connor Freeman, Will Porter, Patrick McFarlane, and Tommy Salmons on our staff, writing and podcasting. And we've also got a ton of other great writers, too, like Walter Block, Richard Booth, Boss Spleet, Kim Robinson, and William Van Wagenen. We've published eight books so far including my latest, Hotter Than the Sun, Time to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, and Keith Knight's new Voluntarist Handbook. And we've got quite a few more great ones coming soon. Check out libertarianinstitute.org slash books. It's a whole new era. We libertarians don't have the power, but we do have enough influence to try to lead the left and the right to make things right. Join us at libertarianinstitute.org. Right, so... Uh, let me ask you, I mean, what exactly is the Aziri's goal here? They just want that territory kind of for petty and historical reasons, or it's extremely important to them for current day policy? As we discussed, the BTC pipeline runs through Azerbaijan, Georgia, and Turkey, and you know bypasses Armenia there. Right. You know, you're, you're right, Scott. Yes. And of course, that was that uh, is a deliberate route uh, to, to do that. So, well, the, the uh, Azerbaijani regime, as I say, I think the number of goals here, they they have said if uh, Armenians want to get on uh, who live in Artsakh, want to leave the, this historic ancient homeland in the land of their birth and, and just leave, well, they'll, they'll open the road for them. OK, see ya. Uh, so what they and what they want to do is complete the takeover of this area, which is not Azerbaijani, but but they want it. And and one reason why the leader there wants it is because he is a megalomaniac who has e evil designs and also needs to appease his people or keep his people focused on something other than their misery at home, which he and his family largely cause. So I think I think that's a big part of it. And then he has said too, uh, they've started this this recent campaign coming up with a totally ahistorical, a totally uh, false narrative that the Republic of Armenia itself is actually, they, they will call it falsely, uh, Western Azerbaijan. Their goal is nothing less uh, ultimately than the total conquest of Armenia and and the destruction of the Armenian people and the Armenian heritage there. And you say, well, what, what are they going to gain from that is it looks like Turkey and Azerbaijan uh, are working together to create a neo-Ottoman caliphate, including countries on the other side of the Caspian, you know, in Central Asia, they just had, I think, it was the president of Uzbekistan over to Shushi, um, and so he was hanging out there with Aliyev. And then we know that Turkey is is doing uh, terrible things in Iraq and in Syria, threatening Greece. They were involved in Libya, and I thought I saw well, yesterday the day before. There are Libyan groups now that are saying that they 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 want the Turks out of Libya. So it looks like Turkey's doing what it can to resurrect the old uh, Ottoman Empire as much as they can and create this neo-Ottoman caliphate. And they see the Armenians who. Are, are the original inhabitants of the Armenian highlands and, and, and the mountains of, of Artsakh. Uh, they see them being between Turkey and Azerbaijan. 
they see Turkey and Azerbaijan as two states and one people. And, and, and the goal of the dictatorial and oligarchic leaderships of those two states is, is to wipe out Armenia and then to link up and, and then to continue along with their imperial expansionist uh, conquest design. Yeah. You know, I never did understand why after ISIS took Mosul, the Turks didn't just roll right in and say, yeah, thanks for, you know, using ISIS as their shock troops. But it seemed like that was the goal was to expand the empire right then and there. And possibly Obama told Erdogan no at that you know point. But, you know, so speaking of the Islamic State, you mentioned uh, some of these atrocities. And it, I wondered whether... Um, these are Syrian or other Arab veterans of Obama's dirty war in Syria who are now cutting the heads off of. You tell me they're they're cutting that they're beheading Armenians in Nagorno Karabakh now in Artsakh. They, right, right. Uh, but those those were actually Azerbaijani troops, Azerbaijani troops. Who, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. They they did it. Uh, so yeah. So when it, was that? Uh, and and in what quantity? Oh, I, I, I'm not sure what the quantity was, but I mean, they, 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 there were several videos of, of people being beheaded. And uh, when was this? During the 2020 war and right after it, for uh -huh. those people that were, you know, caught behind the lines. And we're talking elderly civilians, Scott. We're not talking about, I mean, if they did it to soldiers, that'd be, that'd be, that'd be terrible too. And they did yeah. some of that, you know. Well, that's what Al-Qaeda did to Kurds in Syria, for example. So <laughs> that's what made me wonder whether it was some of these same guys. But no, you're saying this was the Aziri uh, troops actually were the ones doing it, huh? the Azerbaijani military, and they have a, a special forces group. I think it's called Yasma or whatever. And, they, and they're the ones who did the terrible atrocities to the female uh, soldiers that they captured in 2020, uh, actually in Armenia proper. Mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the ways they used the, the jihadist mercenaries, I think in the 2020 war, was basically as cannon fodder. Um, in, the, in, the, in the early days, uh, things were seemingly going well for the people of Artsakh uh, the, in the, on the Armenian side. Yeah, but what the uh, Azerbaijanis and Turks did was they used these jihadist mercenaries to, to send them in like these large assaults. You know, they they sent them out first, and then to see where the defensive positions were uh, that were that were sh shooting them. They left their bodies out there to rot, uh, probably for a couple of reasons, um, and then and then they would uh, go on from there. Um, so yes, we we see the ISIS uh, people uh, do these sorts of things, and and um, HTS and. Um, El Sham and all this. Lindsay, by the way, Lindsay Snell does excellent work uh -huh. tracking all. Okay, and I, I don't. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but she does excellent work, so you could follow her work. You know what? I I am familiar with who you're talking about. I know she's done some great work on the terrorist, uh, you know, home base in the Idlib province. Speaking of the Islamic State, there's an entire Al Qaeda homeland in the Idlib province for the last decade here that America and Turkey support, and nobody cares. Um, anyway, except her, but I do confess that I do not follow her closely because I just got too many jobs, man. And I, but I know that she, uh, is very good on this stuff. I do see, you know, tweets from time to time and things. Right. In fact, I think she, she was, she was a prisoner of either Turkey or ISIS or maybe different time that maybe, maybe each of those, uh, at a little bit different times, but she's, uh, she's safe now, but she really, uh, hammers home the point of the, of the Turkey ISIS connection, um, what's been going on there and, and with, with Azerbaijan and everything they're up to, including, and, and she's pointed this out, she's not the only one. Um, but what they try to do is they say, oh, look how, how liberal we are. We're letting these people go through the, uh, through the Lachine corridor and, and here, you know, and we're having, what, what, what they do is they, if you need medical attention, they apparently say, oh, you have to submit to a medical examination by an Azerbaijani doctor or, or 
some other person or whatever, um, which is, of course, you say, well, that, that, this is horrific uh, when you consider the, the implications of all that. And then they, they, they are videotaping people, uh, children and adults, uh, without their permission and, and to, to, for propaganda purposes. And they had just, again, I think it was yesterday or the day before, there was a young lady who, who was um, leaving uh, to, to go to Armenia for university study. And they, they, they're videotaping her and they wanted to get it. She didn't want to say anything, but finally, she, you know, they have all these soldiers there. And this, this one female reporter comes up to her and starts, yeah, isn't everything great? You know, and, and they said, oh, see, she was she was real happy. And then she, she later said, oh, no, I wasn't happy at all. And, and she, was, she was terrified and she just wanted to get out of there. Uh, but it, it's it's um, it, it's really a, a horrific uh, situation of what the of what they have done and what, what they are planning to do. And, and again, apparently there are all sorts of. Um, like either Telegram channels or or on Twitter or or Facebook, where there are uh, sometimes Azerbaijani officials, but other times uh, people who are apparently just one of the mill folks in Azerbaijan that are uh, either enjoying the suffering of the people or or rooting for more or saying they want to participate in in, in creating more. And you say, what? How does this happen? How does the human race reflect this sort of thinking in this day and age? And I believe the reason for this is the 24-7 stream of Armenophobic lies and hate mongering and propaganda that they hear from Aliyev. And uh, he basically takes pages out of the Nazi playbook. Some of it is, is, is all, just the same thing as the Nazis would use, only just change the names of the targets, you see. And 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 that's and that's what they're doing over there. So it's well. It's can a you elaborate stuff. about that? You're saying there's like a full uh, Joseph Goebbels style propaganda campaign in uh, Azerbaijan at all times right now? Yes. Oh, and it's been going on for quite a long time. Um, and, and in fact, people noted it, uh, it happened back, um, when, when I think it was back in 1990, um, when they did the pogroms in, in Baku and, and there were several hundred thousand Armenians that were, were attacked, uh, in, in Baku and in other areas. It, it was preceded by, uh, the, the Joseph Goebbels like uh, campaigns against, uh, propaganda against the Armenian people that were living in those areas then. There's a lady, Anna Asavitsturian Turcot, who talks about this. She she wrote a book, Eyewitness. She was, I think, a 12-year-old. I believe she was a 12-year-old girl at the time in, in Baku, and she and her family managed to escape, and she survived, and she talks about this. Uh, but they have in their schools 24-7 uh, anti-Armenian uh, racist propaganda in, in, in activities in their textbooks. Uh, there is a change. Like, apparently, back in 1972, their textbooks said, oh, yeah, uh, this uh, the Gorda Karabakh Aratsak. That's that's Armenian. It's always you know it, it is, and they and they recognize it. But um, Ilham Aliyev, who's the son of Haidar Aliyev, who was the dictator of Azerbaijan and a former KGB official, that was you know the mm-hmm. very important in the Soviet dictatorship there, and who the uh, British installed in a coup in 1993 and overthrew a democratically elected uh, leader in favor of him. So yeah, yeah, that's right. So you, you have all these other um, countries that get get involved in, the, in that sort of thing. And um, Ali really promotes this 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 um, hate mongering, even in his speeches. I mean, he, he has said, "Oh, the the Armenians aren't even worthy of being uh, servants," you know, and, and we're going to chase them out like dogs. I mean, he gives these speeches, go like, "Holy smokes!" The American media heard this, the American people knew this. He said, Why are we giving this guy money? This is terrible. Uh, but that but that's that's what they're doing, and they got the people so conditioned, so badly conditioned in this way that there w- there was actually an attempt at a protest in an area in Azerbaijan, where the local villagers were upset over some mining activity that was happening there, uh, polluting their uh, water and things. And they accused, 
they accused Aliyev of being an Armenian. You said, well, why would they do that? Well, he's got them thinking that that's the worst thing in the world. And and so, no, they, that's what they called him. And that these people uh, suffered. They were they were beaten. And, and there was some video coming out about this, about how they were treated by the special police forces and all that sort of thing in, in, in their country. Yeah. So, so it's, 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 um, it's an unremitting stream of, of, of hatred and lies for, for the same reasons that the Nazis did it in, in Nazi Germany. Yeah. All right. Now, look, um, it's a complicated mess that nobody can solve. So I got to ask you to solve it for me here real quick. Uh, basically, Dennis, um, you know, it would be great if everybody could just be treated as an individual and you had the extremely limited government of Armenia, Azerbaijan, and it didn't matter who owned property, you know, which ethnicity of which people, which language group of which people lived in which neighborhood here, because the uh, local security force has so few jobs to do uh, other than protecting people's property rights and everything that it essentially doesn't matter who runs the local security force anyway. And everybody gets along great, and yeah, it's libertarian land. But instead, it's the curse of the old world that uh, people are so divided by ethnicity. And you have so many of these conflicts. I don't know what the total number of them is in the world, you know, right now. But a lot of these borders, you know, drawn through violent conflict in the past, especially created by the European empires. I don't know how relevant that is in this particular case. But when you have this weird West Berlin inside East Germany type situation here. We have this piece of Armenia, you say, and I concede to you, I don't know the entire history, but this has been Armenian territory for a very long time. But man, it's surrounded by a foreign nation, and that just leads to such a difficulty here. You have the corridor or you don't. They can turn it on, they can turn it off, all these kinds of things. Um, and then as we mentioned, and this always comes up, but I guess the, there's not so much problems and strife. I don't know exactly what's the deal with, uh, and I forgot what you called it earlier, this piece of Azerbaijan that's actually on the other side on um, Armenia's western border with Turkey there as well. Um, so when you have just such a mess and all this historical resentment, and as you say, political interests involved in, in making it worse, not better. What do you do? What do you see as like a long-term solution? You know, if they would only listen to you type of thing, um, how could we resolve this in a way where it's pretty dang resolved and it's not just going to flare back up again? Right. Well, yeah, no challenges there, but, um, yeah. So a couple of things. Yes, uh, Nakichevan is that other area. And and frankly, yeah, you don't hear much about Armenian uh, versus Azerbaijani a thing going on there because they, they wiped out the Armenians there. And that's when they talk about reintegration and, and having peace. That's their idea. That's Ali's idea of it, you see. So what do we do about the, the other areas um, that, that were illicitly uh, put under his control or that he just seized, seized control of what's, what, what's the solution here? Uh, I, I do believe a, a big part of it, uh, Ar Armenia has to be able to, to be strong enough to defend itself Otherwise, uh, Azerbaijan is going to eventually go rolling into there, too, when they, they think they can get away with it. And they've already done that to, to some degree. Uh, for the people of Artsakh, I, I think uh, a couple things can be done. Again, enforcement of Section 907 of the Freedom Support Act would, would be a good first step. A ending U.S. military collaboration uh, with Azerbaijan 
would, would be a, another step to be taking, uh, putting actual diplomatic pressure on them. And frankly, I, I know that we always say, you know, from the libertarian standpoint, we don't like sanctions, though, of course, and because they, they, they hurt the common people and not, not the people in charge. And we have all these different examples and they're usually used in, in wrong ways. Uh, some people think, well, the, the Alia family needs to be sanctioned and, and, and that, that has to happen. So he feels a, a pain from this. Um, there are those who are calling for an airlift and say, let, let's, let's, we can airlift it. There's an airport there in Stepanakur, which is the, the capital of what's left. And they do have an airport. The Russians use it to, to, to feed uh, their uh, peacekeepers. They, they fly supplies in and out of, of there, apparently. So th that would be a way to do it. The, um, there has to be a way to get that, that corridor opened. And, the, and those people, uh, their right to self-defense and, and their right to, to, uh, to live as free people in, the, in this land it needs to be respected. And for that, they, they need to be able to have the, the military capability to do that and to keep the corridor open so supplies go back and forth. And, I, and I'm thinking about it. I'm just rereading it earlier today. And I think maybe you just reread it. Uh, Murray Rothbard's uh, Nations by Consent, because he's talking about exactly what you're talking about. And he wrote that back in 1987. And, and he, No, it's and just he, that me and him have a lot in common. Go ahead. Yes, I know. You are a, a, a Rothbardian and, and you express it very well. And that's that's, that's a very positive. So, so I've actually never are, read him on this. Uh, you're saying he oh, uses this example in that? Yes, he, he, he brings that up. And, and then he actually brings up, because it was interesting, he brought up the point you made. Well, you know, if we had uh, an area where it was a, a stateless society and it was truly free markets and private property owners, and then the, they, they could work this out, you wouldn't have uh, the, the problems there, uh, which is true. Uh, most of the time, but for a while, see, there's going to be this problem. There, there's so much hatred and so much bitterness spread through the, the propaganda and, and the lies of the Aliyev regime. Uh, it's anybody that's over there, uh, they would say, well, gee, I, I, I don't think I would trust that right now. We, we, we need to be um, militarily strong, really strong enough so that uh, the Azerbaijanis don't feel like they can just go in there and, and, and wipe everybody out. And right now, I mean, when they go in, the one thing he doesn't lie about he being Aliyev is when he's, he makes threats, he generally follows through on them. And then he does uh, set up the area. So I'm try, trying to figure out how to get them to, 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 to live up to the agreement they made in, in November of 2020 and, and to comply with the International Court of Justice ruling that they have to leave that quarter open is, is a great question. I, I, I like to think of at the moment is uh, heavy diplomatic pressure put on, on them much heavier than they're getting heavy media pressure and people shining a light on this, like, like you're doing here, Scott. So thank you for that. Uh, the U S government actually enforcing section 907 of the freedom support act, the U S government reducing the size and scope uh, of the uh, global empire, which taxes Americans, which inflates Americans uh, currency and creates uh, huge increases in debt here, uh, which has a deflationary aspect, but all, all that being bad economically, but also leads to the, these atrocities overseas. So we, so we need to stop, uh, working with this guy, uh, make him a, a pariah, get, get, put in some incentives for them to uh, reduce their amount of terror and aggression, occupational oppression and genocidal ethnic cleansing. And, and then in terms of how is it going to be, a, a, what's going to be the long-term solution? Um, that, that That's a great question. I, I think it's, it's going to require, you, you're probably right, I would agree that um, a, a private property owner a system would be much better. The question is, how do we get, say, Turkey and Azerbaijan to both agree to go in, in that direction and, and that sort of thing. So there, there's going to have to be 
uh, increased scrutiny, I think, uh, from the West and also from other countries in the East. I know India is quite interested in what's going on here, and they've they've been um, somewhat constructive in this area. Uh, and so th there needs to be pressure put on Azerbaijan diplomatically, economically, politically. The light needs to be shown on this. It needs to be called up for what it is. There, there needs to be, I believe, you know, there's there's UNICEF. Why isn't UNICEF helping these children that are over there? That we're just sitting there silently. So I think there's going to have to be, um, and, and then they say, well, the Russian peacekeepers, were, their, their job was, uh, among other things, was to keep this, this thing open. And, and Azerbaijan agreed they would not impinge on it like they did. So there's going to have to be agreement amongst the uh, nations to, to get the Azerbaijanis to, to leave this corridor alone and, and to let these people live. And frankly, for Azerbaijan to withdraw from all of the uh, areas of Artsakh that they've occupied and from all of the Armenian land they've occupied and, and to for the other countries of the world to recognize the independence of Artsakh. Some, some U.S. states have done that, including our state of Michigan and, and numerous other American states, but we need the United States government to recognize Artsakh. Uh, that would be, uh, I think, a, a very important step. And, and so those are things uh, that I can come up with. And your, your idea, Scott, the, the, the Rothbardian uh, private property owner system, one of, of voluntary cooperation and, 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 and not having uh, political manipulation and coercion, absolutely, that, that's, that's the way to go. But as others will, would point out, we're familiar with this, at this point right now, uh, what there needs to be is enough teeth and enough strength in people re for people resisting Aliyev and his evil, for him to see that it, it doesn't help him. You know, maybe maybe what's going to happen is in Azerbaijan itself, where there seems to be some degree of growing unrest. Yeah. Maybe maybe he'll overplay things with his oppression of his own people, and, and something can be it, something can happen possibly there uh, in in that regard. But uh, in, in terms of saying, well, how do we get this thing to be a, a good long term solution where it doesn't flare up again? I mean, right at the moment, it, it, it's it's hard to see us getting there um, in, in the in the relatively near term. But right now, we have this horrible crisis with these people. I mean, it, it's uh, the the urgency of this uh, can't be overstated. Yeah, uh, what they're going through, yeah. the starvation possibilities and, and everything else, and 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 the and the illnesses is is it, just um, beyond the pale. That in the twenty first century, um, unfortunately, the vast majority of people in media and in government. Are, are not paying attention to it, unlike yourself and, and our friend David Garnasti and some others that are talking about this, uh, and Jose Bulet and, and Lindsay Snell and, and others, um, and, and and Brian uh, and Paul Bryan. Th thanks, thanks to him for what he did. Um, so it, it, it's it's depressing, but it, it's something we need to address and we need to find solutions for it, and we need to end the the reign of terror and, and aggression and genocidal ethnic cleansing that comes from Ilham Aliyev and his, and his criminal junta in Baku. All right, you guys, that is our good friend from way back to Dennis Marburger. Thank you very much for your time, Dennis. Thank you, Scott. I very much appreciate it. And, and please, everyone, what you can do politically to get through resolutions of pressure on our politicians in America to end the, the collaboration of the two militaries and to enforce Section 907 of the Freedom Support Act and to call for an end to this terrible blockade. Right on, man. Thank you again. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, APSradio.com, Antiwar.com, ScottHorton.org, and LibertarianInstitute.org.